่ายแยกต่ายแยกต่ายแยก Oh yeah, we're all bad here on Fashion by Dad, and you are the worst, dear listener. Rattling around at 5 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and here on the Dada, we've been、uh, reading from all sorts of books. A little bit random, bit of a random selection on Fashion by Dad, because I've packed up my house. I've got all my books in boxes, so I've sort of grabbed things that were. Not in boxes for one reason or another. So you've got J.G. Fraser's *The Golden Bough*, a study in magic and religion. So we might have a bit more magic and religion in the hour.、Uh, just flicking through water for elephants to find some scintillating scenes for your ears, dear listener. The young、uh, Jacob Dukowski has just joined the circus, more or less by accident. He's just escaping a bad situation. He's had a little bit to drink. Hi, honey, says Barbara, reaching out and stroking my face. You're doing okay? Hmm. I say, trying to nod. Her fingertips linger under my chin as she turns to the blonde crouching beside her. So young. He's as cute as a button, isn't he now? Nell takes a drag from a cigarette and blows the smoke from the side of her mouth. Sure is. Don't think I've seen him before. He was helping out at the cooch tent a few nights ago, says Barbara. She turns back to me. What's your name, honey? She says softly, running the backs of her fingers up and down my cheek. Jacob, I say, around the edges of a belch. Jacob, she says. Say, say, I know who you are. He's the one Walter was talking about. She says to Nell. He's brand new. A first of May, handed himself real well at the cooch tent. She grabs my chin and raises it, gazing deep into my eyes. I try to return the favour, but I'm having some trouble focusing. Oh, you are a sweet thing. So tell me, Jacob, have you ever been with a woman? I,、uh, I say,、uh. Nell giggles. Barbara leans back and puts her hands on her waist. What do you think? Want to give him a proper welcome? We practically have to," says Nell. "A first of May and the Virgin." Her hand slips between my legs and slides over my crotch. My head, which had been wobbling on its stem, snaps upright. "You think his hair is red down there too?" she says. And so the、uh, sort of obvious details follow, which I'll spare you the.、Uh, Detail of here on Fashion by Dad at ten past five on a Tuesday morning. Needless to say, it ends sadly with young Jacob vomiting inappropriately. There's a hideous scraping noise. Then the blackness above me is broken by a sliver of light. Kingo peers in at me. Wake up, sunshine! Your boss is looking for you. He's holding a lid open. All of which starts to make sense, because as my cramped body realizes my brain is open for business, it soon becomes clear I am stuffed into a trunk. Kinko props the lid open and walks away. I work my bent neck free and struggle into a sitting position. The trunk is in a tent, surrounded by rack after rack of vibrant costumes, props, and vanities with mirrors. 
Where am I? I croak. I cough and try to clear my parched throat. Clown Alley, says Kinko, fingering some paint jars on a dresser. I lift an arm to cover my eyes and notice it is clad in silk, a red silk dressing gown to be exact, a red silk dressing gown that is wide open. I look down and discover that someone has shaved my genitals. I snatch the edge of the gown together, wondering if Kinko saw. Oh, dear God, what did I do last night? I have no idea. Nothing but scraps of memory and... Oh, God, I threw up on a woman. I struggled to my feet, tying the dressing gown. I wipe my forehead, which feels unusually slick. My hand comes away white. What the... I say, staring at my hand. Kinko turns and hands me a mirror. I take it with great trepidation. When I raise it to my face, a clown looks back at me. DJ City is Australia's biggest DJ, sound and lighting superstore. To say thanks to everyone who supported Radiothon this year, DJ City is giving an exclusive 10% discount on all orders up to $1,000 to use online or in-store. Head to djcity.com.au today and use the code 4ZZZ to get 10% off your next order. DJ City are proud sponsors of 4ZZZ. Call you, but then you never pick up the phone. So pick up the phone, you rotten ratter. Now, J.G. Fraser concerns himself with, uh, I don't know, we'd call them higher things, but more obscure things. In his 700 page book, The Golden Bow, he studies magic and religion across the world, across societies, and uh, sort of just works his way through everything from, you know, our belief in the divine right of kings to our sense that um, cutting off bits of hair or fingernails or whatever contains the spirit of people, we can control them somehow, through to the kinds of powers we imbue with animals and so on. Anyway, there's one chapter about uh, human sacrifices for crops. And then we start on the various kinds of spirits of the crops. And so I'm going to read from a chapter about the corn spirit. The corn spirit has an animal. So we've gone through the human sacrifices to make food grow. Now we're going to look at different animals. So the bit I'm going to read comes from the section called the corn spirit as a wolf or a dog. The conception is common in France, Germany and Slavonic countries. Thus, when the wind sets the corn in a wave-like motion, the peasants often say the wolf is going over or through the corn. The rye wolf is washing over the field. The wolf is in the corn. The mad dog is in the corn. The big dog is there. When the children wish to go into the cornfields to pluck ears or gather the blue cornflowers, they are warned not to do so, for the big dog sits in the corn. Or, the wolf sits in the corn and will tear you to pieces. The wolf will eat you. The wolf against whom the children are warned is not a common wolf, for he is spoken of as the corn wolf, the rye wolf, and so forth. 
in the neighbourhood of Fehlenhof. When a wolf was seen running through a field, the peasants used to watch whether he carried his tail in the air or dragged it on the ground. If he dragged it on the ground, they went after him and thanked him for bringing them a blessing and even set titbits for him. But if he carried his tail high, they cursed him and tried to kill him. Here the wolf is the corn spirit whose fertilising power in his tail. When a harvester through sickness or weariness or laziness cannot keep up with the reaper in front of him, they say, the white dog passed near him. He has the white bitch or the white bitch has bitten him. In the Vosges, the harvest may is called the dog of the harvest and the person who cuts the last handful of hay or wheat is said to kill the dog. About Lonsley-Solnia and the Jura, the last sheaf of corn is called the bitch. In the neighbourhood of Verdun, the regular expression for finishing the reaping is they are going to kill the dog. At Epinal, they say, according to the crop, we will kill the wheat dog or the rye dog or the potato dog. In the Lorraine, it is said that the man who custs the last corn is killing the dog of the harvest. At Dux and in the Tyrol, the man who gives the last stroke at threshing is said to strike down the dog. And so on, pages after pages. Then we go on to the corn spirit as a cock, the corn spirit as a cat, the corn spirit as a goat, the corn spirit as a bull, cow or ox. Fascinating stuff from J.G. Fraser in The Golden Bough. You're hearing all of this weird stuff on Fashion by Dad, where it's 23 minutes to 6 o'clock. So, there you go then. Now it's time for a story time story here on Fashion by Dad. I'm going to read to you from Nick Earle's Zigzag Street, Aussie writer. As arranged, Hillary turns up in a cab around 7.30 in the morning. She's not quite her usual self, not quite as I'd expected her to be. She's not looking great. She's pale and wearing dark glasses and a big leather jacket, as though she's off on some adventure or maybe flying to face the Red Baron one-to-one. And she seems to be in a strange mood. She keeps calling me Buddy. I try to recall if she's been like this when we've flown before. Then I realise we haven't flown before. It's usually only one of us who goes, and she usually leaves it to me, telling me it'll be good for me, good exposure. In the cab, I think I notice the smell of bourbon. The cabbie talks on and on and the smell doesn't go away. When we're stuck at the lights and he turns around to crap on, as he invariably does, I try to catch the smell of it on his breath. He's starting to slur his speech. I'm sure of it. I think the cabbie's been drinking, I whispered Hilary. Bourbon. Fuck, she says. Him too. There's a strangeness here in her eyes and the smell of bourbon as she speaks is overpowering and I can see a silver hip flask in one of her pockets. At the airport, she says, I think I should warn you, I get a bit tense when I fly. So she paces and slurps bourbon nervously by holding the pocket up to her lips and tilting it. She probably thinks it's discreet. It's a very small plane, she says, breaking out in a sweat as I buckle her into her seat. It's not. It's a 737. It's quite big. It's at least medium-sized. And it's a good plane. The 737 is a good plane. No one ever got killed on a 737. How do you know that? You're making it up. Well, probably very few people have been killed on 737s. What? 
people have died in these things. You're taking me up in this thing that people have died in. No, no, this is fine. No one died. I read it on the weekend. I remember now, okay, in an aviation magazine somewhere. No one died. No one? No one. Was it a reputable aviation magazine? The best. Good. That's good. I feel better now. And she grips the arm of her seat, squeezes her eyes, gnashes her teeth and hyperventilates. Nicole's Zigzag Street. Here on Fashion by Dad. We all know it's really the warm inner glow that people subscribe to 4ZZZ for. But to sweeten the deal, our good friends have donated the prizes of our dreams this Radiothon. Plus, you can now subscribe on any day and pick any prize. When subscribing, just select which prize draw you're most keen on entering. No need to wait for a particular day to win that particular prize of your dreams. Visit forgeablez.org.au to check out all the prizes. Or call one of our friendly receptionists on 32521555. Good luck and dream, baby, dream. If you've been following Fashion by Dad, you know that we've been talking about the Alec Kruger story, Alone on the Soaks. So Alone on the Soaks refers to his time as an 11-year-old boy drawing water for cattle by uh, digging a hole in the sand where the water soaks into the sand and keeping the water clear. So as an 11-year-old, he was sent off into the heat of the summer to keep the soaks clear. They dropped him off, lit a fire for him, um, left him with a knife and he was supposed to make his own tools, hunt his own meat. So he had a bag of flour and some tea. Flour and tea, no matches, no meat. And he had to survive for three months in the desert. I'm still afraid of being alone at night, he writes, in Alone on the Soaks. So Alec grew up to be a stockman and was one of the people who walked off Wave Hill, changing Australian history forever. And you can find out more about that at fashionbydad.com and listen to last week's episode where... uh, I've read a couple of Storytime stories from Alec Kruger's Alone on the Soaks. Yesterday was 55 years since the Wave Hill walk-off, and that led to uh, the actual Land Rights Act being passed in 95 by the Whitlam government. So in the book Your Life, Your Planet is the famous picture of uh, Gough Whitlam pouring sand in the hand of Vincent Lingiari. Vincent being one of the other stockmen on Wave Hill who walked off. And so Your Life, Your Planet's a book of tips about how we can thrive in a post-COVID, post-carbon world. And one of the things it's Suggesting tip number five, in fact, is pay it forward. You're rich, they're poor. They've got little, you've got more. Send something their way and make a connection. Remind yourself how the other 90% live. Poverty goes hand in hand with higher birth mortality rates, the spread of disease, political instability. 
Investment in education, healthy nutrition and access to financial opportunities helps people overcome the negative impact of poverty and and empowers them. You can help the poorest people on earth by sponsoring a child, helping build a school or giving a goat. Or you could start at home working with local Indigenous groups and try and close the gap that exists here in Australia. So then a bunch of stats about the terrible statistics that define systemic racism which Your Life, Your Planet describes as not only inhumane, it denies a thousand centuries of accumulated knowledge about living sustainably on this continent. ANTAR and her Pay the Rent, Reconciliation Australia and IAHA are all organisations that welcome your financial support. So, a bunch of links there, which we will post on Fashion by Dad in the next day or so. So, uh, full disclosure, Your Life, Your Planet was written by Jeff Ebbs. That's me. So, pushing my own barrow there, but actually trying to honour the people who walked off in 1967, 1966, 55 years ago, as Paul Kelly put it, and Ziggy Ramo has extended it, from little things, big things grow. around people and I'll tell you a story 200 years of history that's falsified British invaders that we remember as heroes by J.G. Fraser called The Golden Bough, known as A Study in Magic and Religion. Kicks off with a chapter called The King of the Wood. Who does not know Turner's picture of the golden bough, the scenes suffused with the golden glow of imagination in which the divine mind of Turner steeped and transfigured even the fairest natural landscape, a dreamlike vision of the little woodland lake of Nemai, Diana's mirror, as it was called, by the ancients. In antiquity, this sylvan landscape was the scene of a strange and recurring tragedy. On the northern shore of the lake, right under the precipitous cliffs on which the modern village of Nemai is perched, stood the sacred grove and sanctuary of Diana Nemorensis, or Diana of the Wood. 
In this sacred grove there drew, grew a certain tree, round which at any time of the day, and probably far into the night, a grim figure might be seen to prowl. In his hand he carried a drawn sword, and he kept peering warily about him, as if at every instance he expected to be set upon by an enemy. He was a priest and a murderer, and the man for whom he looked was sooner or later to murder him and hold the priesthood in his stead. Such was the rule of the sanctuary. A candidate for the priesthood could only succeed to office by slaying the priest, and having slain him, he retained the office till he himself was slain by a stronger or a craftier. The post which he held by this precarious tenure carried with it the title of king. But surely no crowned head ever lay uneasier or was visited by more evil dreams than his. For year in, year out, in summer and winter, in fair weather and in foul, he had to keep his lonely watch, and whenever he snatched a troubled slumber, it was at the peril of his life. The least relaxation of his vigilance, the smallest abatement of his strength of limb or skill of fence put him in jeopardy. Grey hairs might seal his death warrant. So, dear listener, I hope that you're waking up not going to sleep. It would be a little hard to rest your head after finding out about the king of the sacred wood chained to a tree be killed by an enemy. It goes on, the tradition appears in different cultures. Sometimes the king is chained to the tree. People are married to trees in India. All sorts of stuff about the relationship between royalty and the tree. By Dad. By Dad. Bye, Dad.